0: be able to uh, speak to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be able to see lives changed and freed and forgiven, uh, and just hearts yielded to the Lord, uh, It is. it was awesome. And it just is another reminder that our lives are not about ourselves, this world is not about you, this world is about God, and we have so much, and especially at Christmas time, We need to be looking for ways to serve and not to be served. Uh, We need to be showing the heart of God uh, to people all around us in this community and around the world. A heart that was not self-seeking, but rather self-giving. Wanting to give, wanting to share, wanting to bless, wanting to open up his arms for the sake of another. And I hope that is your heart uh, this Christmas. We are starting today a four part series, and this is going to be an Advent series for our next four gatherings together this Sunday, next Sunday, the week after that, and then we'll conclude on Christmas Eve. Are you excited? Guys, it, it's icy, it's cold. I'm standing up here asking if you're excited. Come on. Okay, are you excited about Christmas? Okay, thank you. I love Christmas time, like, love it. You can ask the team, uh, before Thanksgiving, I was actually singing Christmas songs. Uh, The best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. Famous quote from a profound man, Buddy the Elf. Um, (laughs) I love Christmas time, it's just so great. Like, uh, we put up the lights on our house this week. It's like one of the most frustrating and exciting experiences ever, right guys? like when your wife's like, babe, can you put the tree up? It's like, yeah. And then you actually go to do it. It's like, man, I hate this. Uh, like I'm like tangled up in lights that are like everywhere. And then by the time you actually get them up, like half the strands are not working and you're trying to like test each little bulb. It's like, oh my word. Um, this week we put up the ICC loves St. Jude sign out on the building on probably the coldest and iciest day of the year. And It was such a thrill to be able to put up the banner until we actually went to put it up. And then we got on the roof and it was like an ice skating rink and climbing an 18 foot ladder that's covered with ice, not the best idea in the world. Anyway, all that said, Christmas is fun. I love Christmas. But here's the thing about Christmas. Um, Christmas can sometimes be like you driving the road between your house and where you work. Anybody drive from their house to work every day? okay, what do you guys do? Just kidding. Everybody, you, you're familiar, that stretch of road where it's almost like I've been there, I've done that, I know it's coming, and you can almost just go through it. Am I right? You can almost just drive that little stretch of road without thought. It's the scariest feeling in the world to get to work, and you're like, oh no, did I just drive to work? <laughs> like you, you're totally like mindless. Have y'all ever been there? And you're like, what was I doing? What was I thinking? But it's just like autopilot. I've been there. I've done that. I know this route. I know where it's leading. And so we just go through it. The reality with familiarity is that sometimes it makes us numb. All right? Sometimes things that are most familiar to us in life, even the most precious things, sometimes make us numb. It's just like we're so familiar with it that we kind of lose the wonder of it, that we lose the awe of it, that we we, lose—we stop seeing the cool things that are passing by us along the road. Sometimes I think Christmas is like that, in the sense of this that we know we know that Christmas is about Christ. I mean, Christ must—if you didn't know that, welcome to ICC. Uh, Christmas is about Jesus Christ and His birth. Um, I think most people know that. Um, We know the narrative. We're familiar with it. Uh, Most of us have heard it at some point in our lives or another. Even if you're newer to the Christmas narrative, you're familiar with some of the big parts of the story. Some of us, though, from the time we were a little kid, our mom and dad read us the narrative. Or perhaps we were in churches where the Advent candle got lit. And, you know, you're just familiar with it. Um, We kind of know the gist of what it's all about. My fear is that the familiarity of the Christmas narrative, the reality that Christ did come and this baby and that somehow that familiar story, somehow we could get numb to that. Somehow we could just go through this Christmas going, yeah, yeah, this is what it's about. Go through the motions of it, enjoy ourselves, but not really ever have a heart that is just awestruck, amazed, in wonder of the fact that God came to earth in a baby so that he might grow up and become a man who was perfect, who would become our savior, who would be put to death on the cross for our sins, who would go to the grave to put away our sin and would rise again to provide hope and new life for us. I am fearful that we might pass by the Christmas season without that sense of wonder and awe of Christ, who is the centerpiece, the climax, the most amazing thing about Christmas is this coming of Christ. So, guess what we're doing over the next four gatherings? We are gonna celebrate the wonder of Christmas. Thank you, thank you very much. Now I'm gonna leave. No, if you'll look at your neighbor and say, I want you to celebrate the wonder of Christmas, all right? It's gonna feel cheesy, but just do it. It's fine, all right? All right, let me pray for us <laughs> now that you've like a cheese ball. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this day. Um, God, thank you for bringing us here today. Lord, thank you for... Um, Just the opportunity, God, to sit together, to be together. God, just to remember you, God, and to bring our hearts back to you, Lord. That's what we need the most today, Lord. Uh, Lord, we're not defined by what we have on. We're not defined by what we do. We're not defined by what other people think of us or how our status is in life, Lord. We, We are seen by you in our hearts. And Lord, where our hearts are before you, that is the most important thing about us. So God, thank you for a day that, Lord, we can just bring our hearts back to you and just sit and say, Lord, please change me from the inside out. God, please rework me to be the man or the woman, Lord, that you want me to be. God, make me love you above all things. Give me a passion for you, God. Help me to know today why you came in Jesus. Lord, thank you for a day for this. And I pray, Lord, that you would minister and so many ways that, Lord, I could never. Lord God, I am just your servant, your mouthpiece this morning. I pray that you would speak to us and that you would do so for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you came in this morning, which all of you did because you're sitting here, you probably saw out in the lobby this big uh, hope tree. It made out of cardboard boxes, beautifully wrapped in white paper with all of this random stuff on it. I saw some of you guys out there Um, looking through the images that were on there. And some of them are scrolling on the screens and you can see. But we built this tree mainly because there's an interesting thing that happens in the human experience. And to be honest, it's not something that we're taught. It's not something that we learn in school. It's not a part of the curriculum necessarily uh, of how our parents raise us up or how uh, those who were instructing us as we grew up, uh, taught to us or instilled in us. It's just something intrinsic about being human. It's something that we're hardwired to do. And it's really interesting because if you look at the landscape of culture, secular, religious, whatever avenue you choose, you can see instilled this idea, this concept, this reality of hope. You think about some of the greatest stories that you know in our culture. Shawshank Redemption. I watched it on the plane on the way back from Paris to Detroit. Great movie. Anybody like that movie? What makes that movie so great? The connection of feeling what? Hope. Hope. Here two guys are, one of them wrongly convicted, sitting in a cell, hopeful, hopeful for the day that their situation changes, that they can get out. And they sit and they envision and they talk and they dream. And the whole story is fueled, is motivated by this sense of hope that ultimately is realized, well, in part. Well, I shouldn't tell you if you haven't seen it. Anyway, it, it's, I just said it. It's realized in part at the end. Um, plays, Les Miserables. Anybody ever seen that? Yeah? I, I love it. God on high, hear my prayer. Hear my, I, I'm not even gonna try. I, I won't do it justice. You should go see it when it comes to the Orpheum. The whole play though, one of the greatest stories in my opinion of all time, you should see it especially see it live. The whole play built around the central theme of hope. Uh, Think about politics. We just had presidential campaigns, right? Our current president ran on what theme? Hope. I think he has a book, The Audacity of Hope. Um, Some of the best, here I've got, Some of the best novelists that you know, Samuel Beckett, better hope deferred than none. Think about, um, remember the Titans, anybody like that? Sports guys, the whole thing, hope for revived relationships, hope through wise leadership, hope through courageous teamwork. It's a wonderful life, anybody? I'm just going to keep naming stories until everybody has one. Okay, so the better your response, the the less time I'll talk, okay? So, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now I'm just offended. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, The the climax, uh, Michelle was watching it last night. Such a great movie. The climax when he realizes that his life is really worth living. And he cries out to Clarence, 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 get me back. I don't care what happens to me. What happens to my kids? I want to live again. I want to live again. You remember that scene? Okay, maybe it's just me. I get all excited about it. <laughs> Some of the greatest stories of our, of our culture, some of the strongest themes of literature, some of the most moving speeches of our lifetime. Martin Luther King. I have a dream. R. Kelly. I believe I can fly. Okay. That will be the last time I ever do that. Now I've got everybody. Okay. I don't have to convince you anymore. Hope. Hope Victor Hugo Les Miserables The word which God has written On the brow of every man Is hope The word which God has written On the brow of every man Is hope Now What is this about I mean if you think about it I believe all of you At some point have experienced hope think every person in the world we were just in the middle of the bush of West Africa there are people there even though they knew nothing they had never heard of God they had never realized the things that we realize in our society probably never even known that a place like this exists where you can live with such luxury and self-indulgence and go buy any anything you want anytime you want it but yet instilled deep within them hope what is this Paul David Tripp, theologian, who I'll lean on throughout the message today, says you don't live by instinct. You don't live by instinct. Every decision that you make is fueled and motivated by hope. Your happiest moments are about hopes fulfilled. Your saddest moments are about hopes dashed. You are always hoping. Would you agree with that? All right, look at your neighbor real quick before we go on any further and just say, or maybe you should ask them, have you ever hoped? Are you a hopeful person? And maybe if they haven't, you should talk to them a little bit, all right? I'll give you a minute to do that. But just recognize together the shared experience of hope, okay? So hopefully your neighbor relates to you in that you're a hopeful person. It's just part of who we are. We are hardwired for hope. What I want to try to do today is to get to the bottom of this, to help us understand where this comes from, but then also to help us understand where this leads us. One of the most wonderful things about Christmas is that it leads us to hope. Miriam Webster, what is hope? It's the first question I want us to consider today. And if you've got something to write with, you can just... I'm gonna ask a series of questions and we're gonna talk a little bit. And by the end, I pray that God will reveal himself to you through his word. What is hope? Merriam-Webster says this, hope is to want something to be true and think that it could happen or be true. To want something to be true, but then there's this sense of the fact that that thing could actually happen or be true. Paul David Tripp again says this, it's a very interesting insight. He says hope is both an object and an expectation. You should write that down. Hope is both an object and an expectation. In other words, you are both hoping in something and then secondly asking that something to deliver. You tracking? Hope is both an object and an expectation. If you get down deep enough into your heart, if you let yourself go there and you begin to sense what are your hopes, what you begin to realize is those things that you hope in, two parts to it. One, you're hoping in something. That's the object. But then secondly is the expectation. You're asking that something to deliver. It's the same as reflected in the basic Merriam-Webster definition. Wanting something to be true, but then expecting that that thing actually could be true. And there's a couple of types of hopes. Like when we say hope, there's a couple of different ways that we could talk about it. You could talk about it with desiring something good in the future, right? You could talk about it with the thing in the future that we desire. Or you could talk about it for, uh, as like the basis for reasoning and thinking that our desire actually may be fulfilled. Again, object and expectation. Second question we ask is this. What is, where does this hope come from? Like, why is every person hardwired for hope? Where does it come from? Why are we such hopeful people? Why does this not have to be taught to us? Well, to be honest, hope is birthed and hopelessness. Where does it come from? The answer is, it comes from a place of hopelessness. You wouldn't need to be a hopeful person if you had everything that you desired to have. If all of your hopes were fully realized, would you need to be a hopeful person? No. Hope is birthed in hopelessness that's how you learn it that's how you discover it that's where it's birthed in you it's from a place of realization that there's something that I desire that I don't have something that is not that I want a longing for something that is yet to be if you will turn open your scripture to Isaiah chapter 59. We're gonna to go to a couple of passages this morning. But I wanna start here in Isaiah 59. Because here I really think this is a strong passage on hope in the life of humans, especially in the life of believers. And I think it's reflective of the common human experience that everyone shares. But there's some insight that they have here that I believe gives us a clue to where hope is really meant meant to lead us. Isaiah 59, the people of God are in a place where things aren't right. Things that they believe and want to be are just not, it's just not the way it is today. And if you think about your own experience of hope, where hurt, I mean, do you agree? Do you sense that? When hope is the strongest is typically when things aren't the way that you want them to be or aren't the way that you think they should be or know that they should be. Is is that true in your own life? Here, the people of Israel are in a place where they're coming back out of captivity back into Jerusalem, but as they get there, things are crazy. Cities torn up, temple destroyed, that centerpiece of their life and their everything where the presence of God dwelt, gone, the walls that had fortified the city and helped them to feel secure and safe and strong against their enemy, totally annihilated. The people that were there were not people that were like them. They were people that were not of God and didn't desire the things of God. And there was struggle and there was conflict and there was trouble. This shared feeling of hopelessness, of things that are broken, of things that have gone wrong, of desires that have fallen apart or just have not been realized, that's where they are. And... As we go to the Scripture, you can see some things that are happening here, starting in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. Now, this is the Lord speaking to Israel, and He's obviously speaking a response to them, a response that obviously is coming from an accusation from them. An accusation that would rise up like, God, why have you abandoned us? Why are you not faithful? Why does life stink right now? Can you not see us? Are you blind? Can you not help us? Do you not have arms? Are you not powerful enough to come in and do for us what we need to get done? That feeling of, Just total hopelessness, frustration, despair, bitterness, even accusation against God. That's the feeling. That's where this starts. But the Lord comes in and speaks that they might understand more of why they are where they are. Verse 2, he says, But your iniquities... Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. And He goes on and He describes the many ways that the people had drifted, had fallen away from God, had moved out of His will, had moved out of A place of obedience and surrender had begun to walk away from the living God who should be the center of our life and who truly holds everything together. It's interesting because as we look at the problem of hopelessness and despair and this birthplace of hope, so often isn't it true that we look at everywhere else as the problem other than ourselves we like to if this was only different if this circumstance only changed if I only had more money if I only had that perfect boyfriend or if I only only if eh, if that and we come up with all of these if statements all based on this Desire and hope, and if only everything else, everyone else could change. And the Lord says, "Look, uh, how about you? How about let's start within you?" Because I, I do have eyes and I do see, and I do have arms and I can help. And I get your hopelessness, I get your brokenness, I get your despair, I get your longing, but where I want to work is first and primarily in you. And if you look at the real brokenness, if you look at the real hopelessness, if you look at the real issue, what you see, if you're honest, it's related to your relationship with me? Where are you with me? Where are your hopes? Are they in me or are they in other places? Because see, I see your heart. And what I see is that you are distant from me. Your sins have separated yourself from me. And to be honest, this, this, is closer to the real center of brokenness and hopelessness that we all feel. Because we've all had the experience of hopes. You know, I remember in my life, for a long time, I lived way apart from God, ran from him, didn't want anything to do with it. I called myself a Christian, but I wasn't dependent on Christ, but I didn't find any joy in him. What I wanted was people to recognize me. What I wanted was to be somebody in my workplace. What I wanted was the perfect girl who would come in and solve all of my deep issues. And let me tell you, I got promoted at work hopes weren't satisfied. I got a girlfriend. She didn't solve all my issues. People started recognizing me. I was able to buy cool toys and stuff. And yet the feeling of brokenness and emptiness and frustration and longing and despair, those hopes only grew because I hadn't yet realized the real source of my problem. The source of my problem was in my heart and where my heart was with God. You track it with me. So what God's trying to say is, look in you, okay? Now this leads them to an interesting place. If you go on down to verse nine. See, this is, oh man, this is where I get so excited. I get so excited because if we can get this then I believe we will find fulfillment of hope. The people say therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness but we are in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as if In the twilight, among those in full vigor, we're like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and we moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. Our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And he, depart, he who departs from evil makes himself They begin to express what I believe all of us feel and need to express. And that is that we're broken, and things aren't right, and we need hope. But the good news is, and let me tell you, this is the turning point, the turning point for them. And it can be the turning point for you. That they begin to realize that it's not circumstances that are going to fix their hopelessness. It's not other people who are gonna fix their hopelessness. It's not a change in situation that's going to fix their hopelessness. What will fix their hopelessness is when they come back to God. See, God's got them at the place that he wants them. And he's got you at the place that he wants you when you begin to say, I'm not gonna find hope Realize hope in any of this other stuff that I keep giving myself to. I might find it in part, I might see it reflected. It might last for a season, but ultimately I'm not gonna find it, God, apart from you. This hopelessness, this point when you say there's no one else that I can go to other than you, God, It is this point that is the doorway to true and lasting and satisfying and realized hope. It's at this point. When you've got nowhere else to go. And this is exactly where they are. And they give themselves to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been there. Where you stop looking and everywhere else for hope. Some of you guys, you are in a constant search for hope. You're driven by it. And every decision that you make and everything that you desire and everything that you do, we are wired to be hopeful people. But have you ever come to the place where you've realized, I will never find my hopes realized, my heart satisfied until I get right with God, until I come back to Him? and say, Lord, I know this is what I need. I need a work in my heart. It's my transgressions. It's my sin. It's my unwillingness to believe you and surrender to you. It is that that's keeping me broken and in despair. That place, let me tell you, that's the place that I want for you because that place is the doorway to hope. Let me show you this from Scripture. Hope to be reliable must fix what is broken. And this is exactly what the Lord promises to do. If you look at verse 20. He begins to speak about what he is going to do for the people. Now that they've given themselves to him, here's what he's going to do. Verse 19, we'll start there. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from east to west, his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come to Zion. Excuse me. He will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. He will come. A redeemer will Come to Zion at the point that they were truly given over to put all of their hopes in the Lord the Lord says I will come and be your savior I will come and satisfy those deepest desires of your heart I will come to fix what is broken and everyone will know my name And I will send to you a redeemer. One who would purchase you out of hopelessness and place you in a place of renewed hope and freedom and life and joy again. I will send you a redeemer. He will come. He will come to Zion. Now, if you consider the question, what is the cause for hope? What is the reason for hope? For hope. I've got good news for you as it relates to God. You ready for it? Hope with God is different than hope in this world. It's not across your fingers, hope the Hail Mary pass works, hope the probability and statistics are on my side. Sometimes that's how we hope. It's just like wishful thinking. Give it to the breeze and hope for the best. That's not the way we talk about hope in biblical terms. Hope, as it relates to God, is based on his character. It's a moral hope, not a probable hope. It's hope based on his will. It's the kind of hope that I share with Michelle that she will never leave me and forsake me. The reason is not because there are good statistics that show that me being and this and this and this are are likely not to be divorced. No, that's not my reason for hope. My reason for hope is that I know my wife and I know that she's covenanted with me and she's determined not to leave me and forsake me. That's my cause for hope. It's based in the character of Michelle. Our hope with God is not based on probability. It's not based on wishful thinking. It's based on the perfect character and sure promise of our eternal God. Amen? And he has said, I will send to you a redeemer. And that, my friends, is reason for hope. And that hope is not a wishful hope. That hope is an expected hope. That hope is a hope based on the sure promise of God. And indeed, what do we find? For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. Look at Luke chapter one, as we close this morning. The promise made by God to his people in their place of hopelessness when they had turned everything over to God and they heard the promise, I will send to your Redeemer. Friends, let me tell you, when God makes a promise, he fulfills his promise. You want to know the wonder of Christmas? You want to celebrate? You want to rejoice? And the fact that there is a little baby who's born, who was called Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, who is the Prince of Peace, who is the Almighty God. you want to know the reason for this hope, for the joy? It's because this is God's promise fulfilled. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 46. After Mary gets news that she's going to be with child, and the child was going to be from the Lord. and He would be called the son of the most high. Mary breaks out in song in verse 46. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm he's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty he has helped his servant israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and to his offspring forever do you hear what she's saying Mary is sitting there with child much like my cute little wife if you missed that announcement by the way we're pregnant and she's overwhelmed the wonder of Christmas has hit her because for generations she's lived among a hopeless people for generations she's lived among a people much like us who are hardwired for hope who get that things aren't right who sense the brokenness who sense the despair who long for things to be restored and things to be made right for generations this has been the longing of Israel this has been the longing of every human heart And it continues today. And she has realized what is needed the most is not for everything else to change, but for God to change our hearts so that we again might become lovers of Him. For God to forgive us and to come and make us new, to clean us and to restore within us His presence, His joy. And Mary's sitting there with child, And she is getting the wonder of this baby that is growing inside of her. And she says, I can't help, my soul cannot help but to magnify the Lord. For in me, I don't understand it, I'm amazed, but in me is coming the Redeemer. Through this child, God will redeem His people. God will fulfill His promise. God will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God will bring the perfect one who will grow up with perfection so that He might give it to an imperfect people. God will raise up this child so that He might lay down His life though innocent He be he might be wounded and pierced and slaughtered, the innocent lamb for our transgressions so that through his wounds we might be healed, through his chastisement we might find peace. Oh, my soul can't help but magnify the Lord because in Jesus my hopes Are fulfilled. Let me tell you. Hope. Is a person. And his name. Is Jesus Christ. Amen. The answer to all the wonderings and longings and desires of the human condition the answer to all of the expressions that we see in literature and plays and movies, songs, and the answer to the brokenness that you know in your own life is not a change of circumstances. It's not somebody else coming in to be your hero. It's not more money. It's not more success. It's not all of these other things that we like to try to find in temporal, worldly stuff. The answer is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ puts God back into you. Jesus Christ redeems your heart so that once again, through relationship with God, you might be born again to a living hope who is God himself in you. God is hope. Jesus is hope. And that's why Christmas is amazing. Because if there hadn't been this little baby in a manger, you would not have hope. You would be stuck in your sin, stuck in your hopelessness, frustrated in your despair, always singing about something that will never be realized. But because he came, because he lived perfectly, because he died for sin, because he was buried, and because he rose from the grave, You now have hope of a relationship with God and a future with him where all things are restored. Amen? And this hope is available to all who will put their faith in him. I'm telling you this year, I'm celebrating the wonder of Christmas. First for this, that because Christ came, I now have hope and because he came you have hope too the question in closing this morning is where is your hope where is your hope I know you sense the need but have you come to the place where you've given up on every other option realizing that it leads to a dead end road and have you walked through the doorway that God has provided for us doorway of faith in Jesus Christ, the redeemer who he sent to Zion. I pray this morning that you and your heart are fully hoping in him and that you're amazed this Christmas that he came.